So we've been going through the book of Daniel. Um, We are up to chapter 6 now. And uh, we have seen that Daniel is a character much to be admired, very much a hero of the faith. A little bit of the history background catch up to where we've been. Um, In about 605 B.C., 600 and so years before Christ, the Babylonian Empire took over Israel or Judah, that land. And to break the power of that nation, they deported thousands of people selectively. They took the brightest, the healthiest. They left the old folks. They left the kids. But they took people like Daniel in his late teens, took him back to Babylon, and began training him and many other fellows like him for service to the Babylonian Empire. Um, Daniel had an exceptional spirit. You'll see that in one of the verses of chapter 6. An exceptional spirit, full of the Holy Spirit, and with great natural talent and ability, and then the Holy Spirit on top of it. It didn't take long for the king and the leaders of Babylon to realize he was someone to be reckoned with. Um, He could interpret dreams, and he was called on to do that. He was fearless in front of kings and just told them the truth of what he understood God's will and words to be. Last week, Jesse talked about how he read the writing on the wall when the writing on the wall miraculously appeared. And Daniel had the courage to look right at that king, Belshazzar, and say, tonight your kingdom will end. And we have historical proof. Um, from outside of scripture, that's exactly what happened. As Jesse described last week, the, the Medes and the Persians, a combined empire, were literally at the gates of Babylon, diverted the river, snuck in underneath the gates, and took over the city of Babylon, ergo the kingdom of Babylon, that night, just as the Lord had led Daniel to predict. So we are picking up in Daniel chapter 6 now, And we're reading a story about one of the very early events of this very new empire. The military has conquered. Now the people have to be controlled. What, you know, Daniel in the lion's den, if you've ever been to Sunday school, you probably heard that story somewhere. And if you've ever Googled the images online, you will find that most of them are pretty insipid. As if Daniel is just sitting there as a little cartoon character talking to smiling little cartoon lions all night long. And it's not actually the lions I want to concentrate on tonight. I want us, as we read through the passage and talk about it, to look at three types of characters. It's not going to take a rocket science scientist to figure out which character type we should be emulating. I'll give you a hint. starts with a D. But we're also going to see the king and how he reacts in this new situation. And we'll see his officials and how they are reacting. So keep in mind these, two, these three sets of characters as we go through. And let's go ahead and read through. And I'm going to read off the screen. I think that will be easier for me to see. Daniel chapter 6. It pleased Darius. That's the new king, by the way. Um, it is either equivalent to Cyrus the Persian, or it's the general who conquered in Cyrus's name who's been left behind now to control Babylon. Either way, Darius, the royal one, we're dealing with a new king who's in charge of this now. 
new king, new job, new nerves. It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom, with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them so that the king may not suffer loss. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and satraps by his exceptional qualities, or exceptional spirit in some translations, that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel and his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. Now, these guys, maybe, maybe they were just jealous of Daniel's integrity and his ability and his wisdom. Um, maybe they were opportunists, and they just couldn't see why they couldn't wheedle their way into the, one of the top positions, because he's one of the top three. I'm sure there was a lot of competition, a lot of jockeying going on in this new empire, this new Persian part, part of the Persian empire. Or maybe they, they might have just been bigots, because later on they're just going to refer to him as that exile. Maybe they just didn't like Jews. I mean, maybe they were just that racist. But anyhow, they had it in for Daniel. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. So they're going to find some way of trumping up charges against him because of his faith. So these administrators and satraps went as a group to the king and said, may King Darius live forever. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed, which is unlikely, that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or human being during the next 30 days, except to you, O majesty, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now, your majesty, issue the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius put the decree in writing. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, here comes my favorite part. He went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. Then these men went in as a group, and they found Daniel praying and asking God for help. So they went to the king and spoke to him about his royal decree. You see how duplicitous they're being here? They're leaving some information out. Did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days, anyone who prays to any god or human being except to you, your majesty, would be thrown into the lion's den? And the king answered, the decree stands in accordance with the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. Finally, they come clean. Then they said to the king, Daniel, who's one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, your majesty, or to the decrees you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. When the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. I mean, his butt's on the line. The wisest man in the kingdom is about to be tossed to the lion. He was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. But then the men went as a group to King Darius and said to him, Remember, your majesty, that according to the law of the Medes and Persians, no decree or edict that the king issues can be changed. And the law of the P Medes and the Persians has almost come down to us as... Um, it's just a pithy saying. It means something that can't be changed. That's the way their legal system worked. You could not change a law once you put it into effect. So you better be careful what laws you put into effect. 
So the king gave the order, and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. And the king said to Daniel, may your God, who you serve, continually rescue you. And a stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the rings of his nobles so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. And this is, this is the part that makes me kind of laugh. And then the king went and returned to his palace and spent the whole night without eating and without any entertainment being brought to him. And he couldn't sleep. Poor baby. No DVDs for him that night. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. And when he got near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to rescue you from the lions? And Daniel answered, may the king live forever. My God sent his angel and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight, nor have I ever done any wrong before you, your majesty. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. So at the king's command, the men who had falsely accused Daniel were brought in and thrown into the lion's den, along with their wives and children. And before they reached the floor of the den, the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. Then King Darius wrote to all the nations and people of every language in all the earth, may you prosper greatly. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Wow, we can almost just close in prayer right now, couldn't we? So like I said, it probably doesn't take rocket science to see who the good guy is in this story. Yeah, okay. Okay, Daniel, yay. That, that much the Sunday school stories got right. Um, as I go through this, I'm, I'm hoping that we can just flash the PowerPoint with the relevant verses up again. So as we begin, um, you see at the beginning uh, the two types of, I would call, sort of nasty characters. We can get those early verses up. Yeah. Um, situation, political instability. Recent military takeover of a country. That does not mean the people are happy and easily subject. Now, can you imagine if Obama had come in and kept Bush's cabinet? Not likely. And yet Darius has already heard the reputation of Daniel and has such trust in his integrity and his trustworthiness that he keeps him on as one of the top three in the kingdom. Unheard of in a political situation. And it rather upsets all the other guys jockeying for the position. Daniel had no corruption, no negligence in him. I think if he worked here in the 21st century, he would be the kind of guy who never messed around with internet at work or at home, alone or when others were present. You could give him the key to the supply room, and I don't think he'd steal a pen. I think also he was the type of guy that if someone else had a good idea, they got the credit for it. He wasn't self-aggrandizing. He didn't go after it for himself. 
And I think if you worked for Daniel, you worked. Because he was not negligent. He was diligent in doing the responsibilities that were given to him. They knew they would find no corruption or negligence in him. And yet here's a time where everything's up for grab. So grab what you can. But they did realize that he was so devoted to his God that if they could trump up some charge that made it seem like his faith was a detriment to the culture and the government, they could get him on that. Because they knew. These guys who are new in the country already know the reputation of Daniel, that he serves his God continually. So if they want to trip him up, they're going to have to set him up. And they came up with a really slick idea. They were very calculating. They were very reasoned about this. They made it sound like a rational and selfless decision for the good of the kingdom. Bull. It was for their good to get themselves in good standing and get rid of Daniel. And they made an appeal to Darius, the new leader, who will show himself to be emotional, impulsive, gullible, easy to flatter, very egotistical. They simply said to him, why don't you announce yourself as the only God that people can worship for the next 30 days? I, I mean, we all love to celebrate our birthday, and we're hardly God on our birthday, but we all love that, right? We love that attention. 30 days of that, being God, and Darius completely falls for it. Darius, representing the emotional, gullible, impulsive, don't think about it, quick solution, i got to get this kingdom under control, i got to look good, i got to approve my authority so that everybody, yeah, just call me God. That'll do. 30 days, that's all it'll take. So you've got the... You've got the calculating, scheming, conniving officials, and you've got Darius, the impulsive, easily flattered. Yeah, I'll take that title. Sounds good. Slick political move. It worked for communism pretty well. You know, when you outlaw every other god and tell people the only thing you can worship is the government, I mean, it it served communism pretty well. Ultimately, not well, but it worked for a good long while. And Darius was after this quick solution. So what we see here, we have two groups of people using different techniques. But do you see how they're jockeying for earthly power? It's human power they're after. There's a kingdom at stake. There are jobs. There are money. There is responsibility. There is prestige. And they all want it. The king, impulsive, gullible, easily swayed. The officials, very calculating, thinking this through, they hatched a plan. Two groups of people that were probably not meant to admire. But enter Daniel and enter with, with verse 10. When Daniel heard that the decree had been issued and that it couldn't be changed, this is the legal system, you could not change a law, he went home to his upstairs room, the windows opened, toward Jerusalem, three times a day, on his knees, and prayed, giving thanks to God, just as he had done before. If we do the math that history allows us to do, if Daniel was about 18 when he was captured in 605 B.C., if the Persians took over Babylon in 539 B.C., 
Like Jesse said last night, Daniel is an old man. He's about 84 years old. Now, part of us can think, well, if you're 84, it doesn't matter. You're going to go soon anyhow. (laughs) Part of us can also think, that's a lot of years to build up habits and conviction. And that's what Daniel had done. From the day he arrived and challenged in the king's court the diet that he would be served, to announcing judgments, giving not very pleasant interpretations of dreams, supporting his friends as they literally went into the furnace for their beliefs. After a few kings, even now into another kingdom, his political prisoner from Judah, now serving under another realm altogether, just not swayed. His convictions are strong. And his habits back up his convictions. It's not just what he said he believed. It's what he did. Now, there's alternatives. And it's a small enough crowd. What else could Daniel have done if he didn't want to be discovered as still praying to Yahweh? Close the window. Could have done that. How else do you hide your prayer? Run away! Could have tried running away. I don't know how far he'd get. Yeah, let's pray as you go. I mean, because there's nothing in the Bible that says you've got to get down on your knees and pray toward Jerusalem three times a day. So, you know, isn't it fair enough if he had just decided to pray as he went or to close his windows or in any other way? I mean, maybe sit there, you know, if he needed the breeze, maybe it was hot like tonight. You know, sit there and pretend like you're reading a book. Who's going to know what's going through your mind? Here's the thing, though, folks. Daniel had this habit of prayer as an expression of his conviction and love for God. And he was not about to change his habits because to him it would be an insult to his conviction. Think about a simple analogy. Let's say you have lunch with a friend at work, a coworker. You have friends, you have lunch together three, four times a week. And something happens, and this coworker is really on the boss's bad side. And if you keep eating lunch with your friend, guess who's going to get on the boss's bad side by implication? What do you do? It's one thing to call someone a friend or a lord. It's another thing to act out the habits that prove the conviction. And Daniel wasn't about to back down on either. He had the integrity, the integrated life that what he said is what he was going to do. If he was in the habit of praying three times a day, he was going to keep praying three times a day. Wow. And his life was on the line for it. I worry about us, me, sometimes in situations like this because it's not every day that we're called to put our life on the line for Christ, but every day something wears us down in both our convictions and our habits. It's embarrassing to be seen in public reading your Bible. It's awkward to pray in a public place. I mean, there are places definitely in Europe 
maybe even some employments here in the States where you're not allowed any religious symbol so you can't wear a cross. When do you know when to stand up? When a habit is deeply ingrained and it is an intimate expression between you and God of what you do, you can't back down on your habits any more than you back down on your convictions. Problem is, most of us have never developed good spiritual habits. We don't have habits that we have to worry about sacrificing in the light of pressure from government or culture or friends or family. We're so good at just rationalizing, adapting, changing, um, finding, a, finding a way around. Um, I make this analogy. If I wanted a formal garden and shade trees at my, in my house, and I planted them, and then decided, I don't really like that arrangement. So ripped them up and planted them other places. And then the next year thought, I don't really like that arrangement. And ripped them up and planted them again. The roots would have no opportunity to grow. I wouldn't get my formal garden or my shade trees. Because I didn't give them time to develop and grow. If you, if you long for an intimate friend but you only answer the phone half the time, and you don't show up some of the time. You're not going to get that intimacy because you're not living out the reality of the words you're speaking. Habits aren't sexy. Habits can sometimes even seem dull. Sometimes they're very inconvenient. But habits are what demonstrate the reality of what we claim we believe and stand for. And there are things that we can only have if we do them habitually over time. The day you say, I do, is only the first of many days where you better say, I do. Because 10 years on, if you have no more depth of love and trust and intimacy than you did that very first awkward day and night, oh, God, you're missing out on a lot. But unless you put the 10 years into it, you won't have it. Some things can only be developed over time. And for Daniel, it was God above all. God above all. Um, for these other players, the king and the officials, it was expediency, power, prestige, now. But for Daniel, he was just above that realm. God above all. And he would not, would not back down on his habits. Well, if we go on a little bit, we can see that, um, let's see, what, what words do I want to look at? Yep. So the king finds out that it's Daniel, and he realizes he has been had. He has been duped. And he's probably pretty pissed. Because he's about to throw one of the wisest men in the kingdom into the lion's den on a technicality. So I'm sure he got kind of angry at the officials at that point. And he shows his continual impulsiveness. Well, there's got to be a way around this. And he works all the way till sunset. You know, can we do this? Can we do it? No, you can't change the law of the Medes and Persians. You sign the decree, it stands. Into the lion's den he goes. I want to tell you a story, um, a little bit of a similar stress situation that I found myself in once. Um... In another church that I worked at, that church, it was a large, large 
very wealthy church, they'd made the commitment that 20% of every penny that came into the offering would go to missions. You can do the math. My, my, the missions budget was about a half a million dollars a year. Big church. Generous church. Very generous. But at a point where staff was turning over and for a while there wasn't a senior pastor and we had an interim and people were going elsewhere and giving was dropping down, it really was a strain for 20% of the budget to be set aside for missions. And so I was asked if for a period of time, if we could cut back on the mission spending because there were literally salaries and bills that had to be paid. But it would stay on the books as the mission's money And as soon as the budget turned around, it would all be paid back. Okay. So a new senior pastor came in, and people did start coming, and budget did start popping up a little bit. But he found out a few months into his tenure at the church that this internal borrowing had been going on, department between department. And, I mean, it's really not an immoral act in itself. I mean, in a family, you know, your cousin needs something this week and you need something the next week. Um, But what really bothered the pastor was that he hadn't been told this. He had asked, do we owe any money to the bank? And he'd been told, no, no, we we don't owe any money. Mm -mm." That was a little duplicitous because the church owed itself, department to department, they owed missions, about $150,000. That's a significant debt. So he was a little ticked. And said to the leadership, I want this stopped. I want this fixed immediately. All right, so you've got a new pastor. You're already off on a little bit of the bad foot with him because he hadn't quite explained the whole situation right. You've got a bunch of panicky leaders thinking, oh, my God, how are we going to do this? How are we going to do this? How are we going to do this? Enter little old Fran. And the first, the first round was, well, Fran, you know, if you would just be a team player, we could just write this off and forget about it. And then I said, no, because the congregation has been promised for every dollar they give, 20 cents is going to missions. No, you can't just write it off. Well, Fran, you know, legally, and this is true, whenever you give to a nonprofit, the nonprofit gets to decide how the money is spent. And I said, yeah, I know that, legally, ethically, You do with the money what you told people you're going to do with it. And then aside right here, on the Holy Bible, when you give money to scum, scum does what they tell you they're going to do with it. There's nothing underhanded. So, yeah, legally, great. Ethically, no. The money has to go to missions. Third appeal. This is a groaner. Fran, your responsibility is simply to submit to the leadership and the leadership answers to God. <laughs> I told you you'd grown. And I said back, I love these elders and this leadership. I think my responsibility is to help them not make bad decisions. Well, Fran, you know, this could cost you your job. Hang on to that thought. We'll get back to the story later. Similar situation. The king is distraught. 
His, his hands are tied from something he can't fix. The leaders are panicking because they're already in deep doo-doo, and they're trying to get out of it as fast as they can. In this story, Daniel winds up in the, in the lion's den. Although Darius seems to have some degree of hope. May your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. Other translations say, your God must rescue you. We don't really know whether this is a full statement of faith or whether it's sort of a challenge to Yahweh. Prove yourself, God. Rescue your person that I just put the rock in front of. Or is it just a magical wish? We don't. See, the thing with Darius, as with other people like him, when you're impulsive, when you're fickle, when you change your mind and you're inconsistent, people don't know what to think of you. So I look at this and I say, I honestly don't know if he was saying this out of faith or if he just hoped to heaven that he wasn't going to have to answer for the death of Daniel. And again, the next day, he comes and he, he had to have some sort of faith or magical wish because he talks to a guy who should be dead. Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to rescue you from the lions? And two miracles have occurred or are occurring. The first one, we can see in the next slide, Daniel walks out of the lion's den without a scratch on him. Second miracle the one that I know would be harder to work in my heart, Daniel's not angry. Daniel just kind of walks out, and you know, I can just picture him dusting himself off and sort of the, the good servant, you know, saying, oh, my Lord and King, I, I am innocent in God's eyes, and I have done nothing to offend you. And um, what's on the agenda for today, sir? <laughs> I mean, he didn't come out ranting and raving he didn't come out making a public spectacle and a huge deal out of this. Just as he had not hidden his prayer, neither did he make a big public flaunt of his prayer in the first place, because for his entire life, and especially in the 66-plus years that he was in Babylon, Daniel worked with the government, never relied on it. And he worked with authority, but he always knew where the ultimate authority was. He made friends. He was a team player. He worked well, but his dependence and reliance was ultimately on God, enough so that he could come back again and continue to work with the people that God had given him to work with. Are you curious what happened at this other church? What do you think happened? <laughs> Wrong! Quit. Not then. <laughs> not, not much. I mean, not much happened. They found other ways. I mean, they just kind of let it slide. The money was, over the space of a couple years, put back into the missions fund, as promised, 150-plus thousand, and was used to tremendously bless missions and ministries all around the city, all around the world. And I knew it could happen that way. I knew these guys loved the Lord. I knew they were in panic mode. I knew their hearts were in the right place. But 
impulse and quick solutions aren't always the best thing. And so he just kept working. Happened. Just got back to it. Kept working for the Lord. The church is now about four times the size it was. Um, been blessed. Been blessed tremendously. Everyone screws up sometimes. Every one of us has had a knee-jerk reaction. Every one of us can redeem, be redeemed from those situations. Um, God above all, just that, no big deal, no fanfare, no theatrics, no lawsuits, no increased security measures because, you know, the people are out to get me. Just God above all, totally on a different sphere than the players down here on earth. Cooperation with the authorities, but not a reliance on them. Never thought government or culture would set the tone for him. Daniel was above that. There is, um, you know, and Darius, in the meantime, good old impulsive Darius, well, forget it. Throw the other guys in the lion's den. <laughs> Darius, get over it. Would you slow down and think? But earthly power is just always fragile, always changeable. God's power is constant. His character is constant. Why not be calm in the presence of the almighty king, despite the flaps and problems and issues that we face down here? This is where I want to make a, a kind of specific plea to us. Well, to the, uh, this is directed particularly to those who would say that Jesus is their Lord and that they place God above all. Think of some of the tough, very controversial social situations going on now. Shout a few out to me. Gun control. Marijuana. Immigration. Fiscal cliff. Definition of marriage. Okay. The post. Okay. Big business. Globalization. Um, all of these very Denver camping ban. I mean, from very very local to international, there are any number of fragile, changeable. I could be screwed tomorrow, I could win tomorrow type of situations out there in this world. And this is my plea to those of us who say that we claim Jesus as Lord and God is our sovereign. As we discuss these issues, as we wrestle with them, as we go back and forth, could we please make sure our primary arguments, opinions, Thoughts are derived from God's word, God's character, the life of Christ, taking into account 4,000 years of history of people worshiping this God. And I will assure you, there will still be plenty for us to disagree about. No doubt. I'm not talking about shoving a political opinion down someone's throat thinly guised as a religious prophecy. I'm talking about Christians discussing these issues submissive to the reign and the will of God. Because when I hear 
when I hear us making our first appeal to, I, I just don't want to offend anybody, right? I just want to be tolerant. Well, everybody's doing it. There's no other way. That's the way the culture goes. We better go with it. My rights, my constitutional rights, my public rights, 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 rights. Sometimes they will align with the will of God according to his word. Sometimes they won't, folks. And all I'm saying is our first opinion and argument and defense has got to be submissive to the will of God. And I assure you we will still find plenty to disagree about, but we'll be doing it from the common ground of worshiping Yahweh rather than depending on either our culture or our government. These very last words from Darius are truth. We don't know how firmly he believed in Yahweh as the only God at this point, but man, he comes out with the right word. The living God who endures forever, whose kingdom will never be destroyed, whose dominion will never end, Yahweh, who saves and rescues, performs signs and wonders, and who has even rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. We have so many things that are our metaphorical lions. We have them individually. We have them as a church. We have them as a nation. We have things that divide us. Um, we have things that confuse us. We have temptations in our homes, our workplaces, our schools to just just finagle a little bit around the will of God. Just change up those habits a little bit so they're not so offensive to people. So I'm not noticed quite so much. But your habits, your spiritual disciplines, your habits demonstrate the strength of your convictions. And your convictions will not grow unless you habitually grow them. So as I said, we're going to have prayer available over in the prayer cave. If there's anything in particular you want someone to pray with you about um, as we turn to God and worship, Let's pray that there's just a little more integrity in us. Integration of being and doing, saying and thinking, in which God is above all. Thanks.